This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and I have the pleasure today uh, to talk to the author of Red State Revolt, The Teacher's Strikes and Working Class Politics. The author is Eric Blanc, and the uh, publisher of this book is Verso. Uh, I have the pleasure to have Eric on the phone today. Eric, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for for coming on, sharing the book, um, and sharing this super, super timely um, subject. Uh, Before we get to it, you have a pretty interesting background that you bring to this material. Uh, I wonder if you could uh, talk a little bit about that. Where where have you been prior to coming to this material and and where are you now? Sure. So I grew up in a labor family. Um, My mom was actually the president of the teachers union in San Francisco. And I grew up going to picket lines and I, I became a public school teacher in the San Francisco Bay Area for eight years. And that really was the background that ultimately led me to write this book about the teacher strikes. But the reason I was able to write the book about the teacher strikes was also that I happened to have uh, stopped being a teacher about a year and a half ago to be uh, a graduate student at NYU in sociology. So I had a little bit of uh, more flexibility to go travel around with the strike wave that has popped off. Um, So it's that combination of things that really, I think, lended itself towards me uh, being able to talk with the teachers and the organizers on the ground because they knew I was, had a similar background. I've been an education organizer and a, you know, a radical organizer for a while. So I was able to engage with them, and I think, in a different way than otherwise I might have been able to. Yeah, you also bring your academic background to this as well. Um, why don't you talk maybe a little bit about where, where you are academically speaking? Sure. Yeah. So I'm at NYU in sociology. I study social movements, and in particular, one of the interesting aspects of the strikes is that it's brought labor back, um, hopefully within the scholarly world and within sociology, as something of interest, because for a long time, it's really um, been more or less overlooked. You know, folks are doing work on it, but it's it's definitely relatively uh, marginal, and I think hopefully now with the strikes, we're going to see more scholarly research about labor, um, about striking in particular, and, you know, the red state strikes, hopefully uh, more specifically. Yeah, I wonder if we could maybe start our conversation talking a little bit about kind of the, the political and, and the legal context into which your, your um, subject matter and, and the book is really placed. Um you focus here on on red states, not blue states, um, and and that matters 
for what it means for unions and, and uh, teacher groups to participate in politics. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Um, that is, what are the what are the political circumstances that that teachers that are organized as unions face in a in a red state versus the typical blue state? And and we'll then talk more uh, later about about what that means for the the strategies they use. Oh, maybe you could start there. Sure. The first thing I would say is it's just worth um, noting that part of the book really does try to challenge the relevance um, of the blue state, red state narrative, uh, insofar as there's a level of um, superficiality to the way that people talk about these states. Um, Because West Virginia, for instance, was up until very recently a blue state. So just with that caveat, I think the question you raise is a very important one, which is to say that the political uh, circumstances in particular in the places where you saw the strikes pop off uh, in 2018, West Virginia, then Arizona and Oklahoma, North Carolina, you know, these are states in which union density is much lower than in a state like California or New York. Uh, They're right to work states and uh, public sector strikes are illegal. That's again, not actually specific to uh, quote unquote red states, in fact, the vast majority of uh, states in the country, uh, public sector workers do not have the right to strike. But there's definitely a confluence of these legal structures combined with the hegemony of the Republican Party uh, on a statewide level that created a circumstance in which the types of normal integrative labor relations, which have prevented strikes uh, in a lot of parts of the country, because if you have collective bargaining, but not the right to strike, it's understandable that a lot of unions will you know, go through the institutional channels. These channels barely existed and in some ways didn't exist at all in a lot of these states. It's just why the way the movement developed was very explosive. Um, it was almost uh, volcanic because there was very little uh, infrastructure through which anything other than uh, mass protests and strikes could have forced the you know, public employers to the bargaining table. Yeah, you you just alluded to the the um, the specific places that you study, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about those. Uh, your choice of them, uh, so how you decided on these versus versus others. Is it is it primarily driven by the fact that the these is uh, this is um, the, the uh, most important places where these strikes were happening? Um, but what about Arizona and Oklahoma, North Carolina, and one other that I'm forgetting? Tell us about that that set that that forms the the cases that you're looking at here. So the book really focuses on three cases, uh, West Virginia, then Oklahoma, then Arizona. And the reason I focus on those three is that these were the um, most important walkouts and strikes in 2018. And in some ways, they were the only real strikes, which is to say there was one-day walkouts and in some places, two-day walkouts um, in Colorado, in North Carolina, in Kentucky. But in West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Arizona, these were real strikes, which is to say that workers went out, uh, shut down the schools, raised their demands, and were not willing to go back to school until their demands were met. And so they were much longer, they were much more contentious, and they generated a level of um, political power and con- you know, really conflict that was unmatched uh, elsewhere in the red state walkouts. 
Now, the the way you did this is is um, I think uh, quite uh, appropriate for the the area of um, the, the social movement scholarship that, that you're coming out of, um, but it involves some some uh, different approaches to the material. Um, how did you do this? Um, what was the the way that you got to these um, groups and the, these these people that were involved in these strikes? I can imagine um, the the trepidation. Uh, that many of them face simply getting involved in politics, let alone uh, speaking to, working with somebody who's going to be a study of this and, and reporting on it as well. So wh- how did you do this work? Yeah, so I was wearing a few different hats, and that helped. Um, I was on the ground in each of these strikes as a reporter for Jacobin Magazine, and that I think allowed me to integrate myself into the rank and file networks of teachers in a way that would have been harder um, had I um, just been a, in their eyes, just a scholarly researcher. But because I was able to build these relationships with people um, after the strikes happened, I was able to go and do a lot more interviews and more systematic um, research, basically, that formed the background for the book and hopefully my dissertation as well. And it was those relationships I was able to build. Uh, I think one enough trust that people knew that they could, you know, speak freely and they gave me access not only to, you know, their meetings, but even the secret Facebook groups that really served as the main organizational and communications hubs for these strikes. So I just had this amazing data set. I still do of, literally um, hundreds of thousands of posts and comments in which teachers are sharing with each other their fears, their hopes, their questions about organizing. It's, you know, it's a really, really dense uh, and interesting research uh, avenue to you know, continue to explore, I think. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Yeah, and, and what did you learn about their hopes? Um, from, from a distance, we might assume these are primarily focused on uh, pay issues. Uh, what forms the basis of the the uh, claims and the agenda and and the the reasoning for the the political movement, including strikes? What were they asking for in these cases? Well, it's certainly the case that low pay was a central grievance in a lot of the red state strikes, but the the media, the mainstream media at least, is really over focused on the question of pay. And, and it was always uh, the case that in all of the strikes, pay issues were combined with a whole range of other equally important uh, grievances and demands and hopes. For instance, just the ability to be able to teach and provide a decent education to students was really a central issue because schools have been so underfunded for so long that a lot of teachers just felt that they weren't able to do their job. Um, you know, and as a former teacher, I can attest and to the fact that a lot of teachers uh, see their work really as a mission. They're, they're, they could get paid more doing something else given their education, and they want to um, be good teachers. But that's been so 
difficult, particularly in recent years, because of the uh, underfunding of schools and then also because of this extreme privatization and corporate education reform agenda. And it was that real attack on just the education as a profession underlay, I think, a lot of the demands and grievances. Um, So you saw strikes fight not only for pay, but for more funding for students, for counselors and nurses, for really reinvigorating the public education system as we know it. And so it really went a lot uh, beyond pay. Now, at the same time, one of the really interesting parts of the book is, is how you talk about the way these, these different groups came together. And, and you write um, at one point in the book, and, and I'll quote from it, had educators attempted to make broad ideological agreement a precondition for unity in action, their movements would never have gotten off the ground. Um, how does ideology and these coalitional issues factor into these specific uh, strikes and this action. Um, Were these uh, multi-party strikes? Were these uh, ideologically diverse? How did they work on that side of this? Because you're talking about places um, that that have um, um, some pretty extreme politics right now. So maybe you talk about that that, that, uh, part of the book. Sure. The reality on the ground in all of the strikes was that the walkouts brought together people who voted Republican, people who had not voted at all, some of whom were Democrats, some of whom were Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, including a lot of the prominent leaders. So you had a really wide range of political backgrounds for the participants. And so given that the organizers understood that for them to cohere a mass movement, it really had to focus on the, you know, the demands that were shared across the board by educators and not some sort of broader, necessarily uh, political, ideological, coherent vision. So that was the dynamic, which is to say that the watchword and the, the real motto of all of the strikes was unity. Uh, almost every one of the names of the Facebook groups were things like Arizona Educators United. Um, in West Virginia is West Virginia Public Employees United. There was this sense that really the cutting edge question to win was to unite across people's very real geographic, political, uh, ethnic divisions to fight for education. And I think they succeeded in a a really uh, amazing way. And in the process of the movement, people's opinions changed. So for instance, there was this whole uh, slew of Republican educators announcing that they would never vote Republican again because the people they had voted into office were attacking them. So there, there is, I think, a lot of truth to the idea that people learn through struggle. And, and we saw that because the movement itself was based on trying to bring in as many people as possible from the get-go. To what extent was this a multi-state or multi-location movement? Were the um, uh, activists in West Virginia talking to the activists in Arizona and Oklahoma, or were these state-specific in, in, a, in a more important way? Well, the, the first thing to say there is that West Virginia was the catalyst. So there, there's no way you would have had the Oklahoma or Arizona strikes in, in 2018 had it not been for West Virginia and, and the example that it generated. Because the, the, the reality is for most educators across the country, the normal 
sense of things up until very recently was resignation. Things are getting worse, but there's very little we can do about it. The teachers unions were just uh, continuing to lobby the politicians relatively ineffectually. And so West Virginia changed that. And the organizers I spoke with in Arizona and Oklahoma were very open and conscious about trying to really replicate the energy and in some ways the organizing model of West Virginia. And they did in fact have a good amount of communication with each other, particularly Arizona and um, West Virginia. There was a lot of, you know, Facebook messaging conference calls. They met at the labor notes conference, which is sort of like a left labor conference. Everyone got together. So I do think that there was a pretty uh, impressive amount of cross pollination, which has continued to this day as far as trying to build a national educators network and not just in the red states, but with blue states too. Now, these these um, strikes and worker action played out um, differently in each one of these different places. Um, but what were some of the gains? What were the outcomes? Uh, what happened as a result of uh, these different um, actions in each one of these states? Well, the short version is they won, um, which is exciting because labor unions, as uh, most of your listeners probably know, have been on the decline for at least four decades, if not longer, in the United States. So the strikes won really more in the span of two months than uh, the educators' movements in these states had won in the span of really two decades prior. Uh, Oklahoma, for instance, hadn't seen a single uh, tax increase to pay for um, for pay raises and hadn't had a pay raise for educators in 10 years. And they won a 15% pay raise in Oklahoma, 20% pay raise and extra school funding in Arizona, a reversal of some of the tax cuts, uh, a stopping of various privatization initiatives in Arizona, in West Virginia, the West Virginia strike, which really launched everything, defeated an attempt to uh, exorbitantly increase the healthcare costs and impose a really draconian new healthcare plan on educators. They won big pay raises. So yeah, we're talking about you know very successful actions. Although you know, in the grand scheme of things, the demands they won were still uh, you know felt short of a systematic transformation of the school system. Um, but they certainly were felt to be and, and were in fact victories for educators. And about moving forward, these are these are specific cases. There were other strikes in other places, famously in Los Angeles. Um, but what about the larger sort of gains for uh, educators nationwide, and and the the role that this um, this organizing is going to play in future elections, for example? Uh, have the lessons been learned? Have they been transmitted more widely across the country? Are teachers going to be uh, active in the, the 2020 election uh, using the same kinds of um, uh, organizing strategies, if not uh, political tactics? Yeah, I think that all indications are that the strike wave and the teachers movement only continues to spread and that there's no sign of it abating. So just this last year, for instance, you saw a whole slew of new red states have walkouts. Places like South Carolina joined um, Tennessee has seen a movement and beyond. But I think most importantly, you saw the strike spread to, as you mentioned, Los Angeles, but not just Los Angeles, Denver, Oakland, um, Chicago. There's a real sense that this is a national movement that has changed the political conversation about the crisis in public education. And in some ways, that's the big win so far, is that because of the strikes, the narrative that 
really was hegemonic until very recently has been punctured, which is to say that the old line, if you listen to either the Democrats or Republicans in the mainstream media, was that uh, the crisis in schools is due to uh, the public sector being less efficient, greedy teachers, uh, obstructionist unions. And because of the strikes now, you have that narrative really has shifted dramatically. So now there's a general sense that teachers aren't getting paid enough, that schools are underfunded, and that we need to reinvest in public education. And I think you can trace that to the strikes. And that raises real questions for the 2020 uh, presidency, because frankly, education is one of the most important and one of the most popular planks uh, across the board, whether it's Republican, Independent, or Democrat. And who can frame themselves and in fact be the education candidate is going to go a long ways towards winning the most important unions in the country. The labor unions, uh, teachers are the strongest in the country. And I think in capturing uh, the spirit and energy. And so far, the one candidate that I've seen really uh, be most proactive about this is, has been Bernie Sanders, who's really been systematically trying to support the teachers movement and just issued a few weeks ago a very comprehensive plan called the Thurgood Marshall Plan to uh, put a moratorium on charter schools, desegregate the school system, a whole slew of uh, related demands. And so he's you know, clearly attempting to uh, position himself as the education candidate. And it'll be interesting to see whether other candidates follow suit. Yeah, the, the book again is Red State Revolt, The Teacher's Strikes and Working Class Politics. Uh, Eric Blanc is the author. Verso is the publisher. Eric, thank you so much for your time today. Great. Thanks for having me on.